Thousands of miles across in a desert, and now I'm here sitting here talking to you. Where were you then? I was in Pakistan. Uh huh. That's uh, right next to India. Mm -hmm. uh, I have friends from Pakistan. <laughs> you do? Yeah. that feeling that I've gotten from being able to write and record a song and it might sound sort of corny saying it but to be able to write a song and and also to be able to share it with people and have someone from some other part of the world now it can be on the internet saying like this song changed my life or I you know I have people who have become friends who went through horrible family tragedies and, and listened to songs that I wrote um, that somehow helped them get through it I, I don't know how but somehow um, that that is like a gift that is so beyond anything. Like if someone wanted to just gift me the Taj Mahal, this is going to be yours now. That, that wouldn't mean as much to me as, as what it feels like to write and create music and, and be able to share it. And, not, and it isn't, there's, there's nothing about it. It's the one thing that, that um, I can, no one can really take away, I suppose, from me. Like, I don't have to go through anybody else, and the only way anyone can get that is, like, from me. They can't go around. Yeah. I, it's kind of sad for me, but I've noticed that throughout the years, um, being lucky enough to be successful in, in uh, music, I've seen and met and known a lot of other musicians and people in bands who, who were lucky as well to be successful in music. And noticed there being kind of a, a, a finish line mentality, like, like there would be with any other type of a business. Like, we'll reach a point of success where I don't have to worry about, uh, I own my home, I have enough money in the bank I can live off of the rest of my life, um, I'm finished. I'm done now, and if I and if I get bored in five years, I can make a record, you know, that kind of thing. Um, or I I'm, I was a musician and I became successful. Really, uh, I I always wanted to be a race car driver or an actor or a um, you know a, a, a some type of a sports star. Um, and uh, for me. No, none of that has ever really kind of made sense to me. T to me, make, making music, writing songs, recording albums, touring, playing, um, that's all constantly and on, that is life, that is pe period life. That's not something that I do in life when I get a chance to do it. That, that and my family all intertwined is what living is. But if you take that away, I, then I would think of it as jail. Even if I wasn't in jail, literally, I would think of it as that. And, you know, there have been moments, you know, whether it was self-imposed, bad relationships, drugs, alcohol, where I have been in that position and, and re referred to it as that and it felt very much like that. Um, so, I'm, uh, I think with, with the album Scream especially, there's been like a lot of people trying to make sense of a trajectory. Like, okay, we think that he started here and 
and now he's here with Scream, and and we're trying to make sense of the path. <laughs> yeah. And then we're also trying to predict if Scream is here, what's going to happen next? Looking at all the other solo work I've done and different records I've made throughout the history of my career, it's it's not like um, I was in ACDC or the Ramones and then I went and made an album like Scream. I've been doing a lot of different things w with music my entire career and taking a lot of left hard turns. Yeah. This one's being a big one. Sitting down and the melody pops in your head, all the lyrics. Every way that, that um, I've ever heard of really. The thing I probably do the least is write out song lyrics. Um, I'll have ideas for, for song lyrics, which is generally like, uh, a good example would be Fell on Black Days. I, I tried to write that song four or five times with Soundgarden. I think we had like three or four different versions. And eventually I just sat at home and came up with the music myself because I couldn't find a song where those lyrics seemed to fit genuinely. You know, it just wasn't working with the songs that we were writing as a band. Um, and I didn't write the lyrics out. I just had the idea of what I wanted to say in that song. And then I waited for the appropriate music. And then, if, then the lyrics came out, I think, the way that they should have. Um, other times, um, there's once or twice I've actually written them out, but um, other times it is, here, you know, listening to the music or playing the music myself, coming up with something or a melody in my head. And the idea for the lyric just arrives at the exact same time as though you're listening to the radio or something. It's like, you know, the, the, the melody's in my head and it's coming with words and there you go. Yeah, and the guitar is always a part of that. Um, for me, yeah, usually. Sometimes it's piano. I, you know, I've, I've played piano when I was really young and now it's like, like I, it's difficult for me, but sometimes it's that. Usually it's a melody and, and often it's not like something no such thing on uh, Carry On, Black Hole Sun, numerous songs I've written entirely in my head. Like what about Long Gone written and Never Far Away? Head. Those were like, those were sort of in response to a beat and a, and a sort of texture or a beat environment. Okay. And so every song on Scream was really um, a response to that. I didn't go, I went in to record that record with nothing. I, uh, intentionally, because I wanted to be. I, I didn't. You wanted wanna, the music to inspire you. Yeah. Well, I didn't. What I didn't want to do was go in and if I'm going to use and work with a producer like Timbaland, I didn't want to go in. What would the point be to go in and and bring my conceptions and my ideas to the table? My, my the whole point was I wanted to do something completely different than anything I'd ever done before. Um, in a way, just kind of. Uh, rinse myself of kind of all knowledge as though it's the first time I've ever made a record, in a sense. And you did that. In and a sense, yeah, I did. And it happened. Yes. And I think that's what pe uh, what's difficult for some people to digest. But I think that some of the songs are really cool. I mean, mm -hmm. the, the music, the lyrics, the way mm -hmm. you sang. You changed the way people sing songs because what we heard uh, coming out of Chris Cornell was that uh, strange uh, songwriting experimentation that turned into the way people sing now. I mean, it mm -hmm. didn't have to rhyme. Uh, you know, the lyrics could talk about life or death or mm -hmm. anything in the world, and then you have the power to actually sing them. Mm -hmm. We didn't see that prior to the late 80s. There was always this rhyming mechanism involved in the song. Yeah, there's like the subterranean homesick blues kind yeah. of thing. Yeah. Um, 
I was listening, it's funny you mentioned that because I was listening to the song Follow My Way that's on um, Euphoria Morning. And um, I was, I, I was really, it almost, it, it feels to me like uh, paying absolutely no attention to um, like the, the rhythm of rhyming and the, it almost, it almost feels like I was intentionally trying to ignore that that concept even existed. Yeah. Um, and I think that lyrically it looks great when I read it, and when I'm listening to the melodies, the melodies are great. But as a as like a critic looking back uh, 11 years into the past, I feel like it w I would connect more with the song had uh, had the the lyrics flowed a little better. And it's just a different. Ooh, I'm in a different place. Oh, absolutely! A room a thousand years wide. I mm -hmm. mean, you know, I mean that was just an awesome piece of work. Uh, I mean, you could literally put the listener in a room a thousand years right. wide without rhyming it. That's, that's Kim Thiel's lyrics, by the way. I still have the originals I think he wrote down. But I'm, I'm talking about the way you uh -huh. sang them. To pick up anything that I give you or someone gives right. you or you write yourself, mm -hmm. but then you sing it in a way that it becomes melodic. Yeah, that, I'm not sure. I know what you're saying. Um, How does that happen? I don't know. I, it's not, I don't really know, and it's not always a good thing. I know, I know. But but you've been experimenting with your jagged edge cuttings. I know you yeah. did a lot of studio cuttings with your vocals and all that. Well, like if you listen to, uh, and this is a good example for me. Like if you listen to, like early Zeppelin, um, Robert Plant, who you know was really inspired by Janis Joplin. I would listen to a Janis Joplin record. There's there are recordings where. She's doubled her vocals, and they're hard panned. So, and there's also a guitar, and um, hard panned one on on the right. A different performance here. So, if you if you would turn the balance knob to the right, it's a completely different performance of the song than if you turn it to the left. You get these two completely separate mono performances. Yeah. And um, people who would sing loose, and Robert Plant is a very good example of that. Someone who's just very loose, jammy vocal performances that are often like sharps and flat notes. And for me, um, I was never, rarely ever able to do that. And there's something, the way that my brain works wants to slide that note into, it wants to find one. That's why I don't rap. <laughs> it wants to find something. This is the part that I think is really surprising is that um, I hear this sound that sounds like a combination of me and like a lot of other sort of Seattle singers or that era of kind of rock music put together in one kind of wrapped up in a ball, homogenized and is now sort of in a way what, what com commercial mainstream rock is now. Um, and it's it just surprises me because I didn't think that that would happen. I didn't think that this much time later, it's this is more than 20 years since uh, Screaming Life came out, that the, there would be bands on, on rock radio stations with brand new songs that are still so derivative of something that, that's, that's that old. Yeah. It almost feels in a sense like, it, like it's, hard, it's hard to imagine there even being a revival because it hasn't gone away enough really, you know? Um, it, and and that, that does surprise me. I always knew, 
and talked about the, the thought that, okay, whatever it is that we're doing, it, it's something different. And you can tell that it's different and it's special because it polarized people like in the very beginning, sort of like Scream is doing now. Yeah. Soundgarden did in the very beginning because we were um, this kind of wannabe indie post-punk band who just, the only reason why we weren't is because we didn't have a record deal with an indie, but that's what we wanted to be. And all of a sudden we hit on this thing where we started adding certain elements of 70s rock music into what we were doing and people just like it made a lot of people really mad in that scene like they didn't get it didn't like it but then there was another group that was thrilled you know and and as soon as we saw that crazy kind of um polarization i think we knew we had something um and once we had something i my brain immediately went to how's it going to die where is it where is it going to die <laughs> where is it going to be suddenly become um, sort of irrelevant or where is it going to go and, 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 and uh, what is it that's going to, you know, what, what negativity is going to come out of it in the future? And I couldn't figure it out until eventually I heard bands like Creed and then I understood. It's like, okay, that's how. Um, you know, it, 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 and it wasn't just the, our band, it was other bands from Seattle and other bands from that moment, you know, Jane's Addiction, Red Hot Chili Peppers, you know, all of that. Um, but I'm, su I'm surprised that there's still, that I still hear and feel so much of it in the music now. Death inspire you? Death? Yeah. Um, I, that's a hard question to answer. I don't know. I mean, I think it's just this thought-provoking subject. Um, so in that, I, I, you know, it depends on how you define death, the actual mystery part of the mysterious part of it is is an interesting concept that, and a lot of people think they sort of have. Um, knowledge of what it is, what it means. Um, they certainly, are, you know, there are a lot of people, billions of people that have beliefs in, in what it means. And, and um, for me, uh, you know, it, it's incredible that there is this phenomenon that happens to millions of people every day. It's going to happen to all of us without fail. And through the history of like at least recorded history of human beings, billions of people have been born and died and there have been geniuses that have lived and from every culture and, and, and every part of the world and not one time has anyone been able to come up with any kind of substantial proof about what happens to us 
after our bodies die. That's kind of an, an, uh, an incredible thing to me. It's kind of like you would think, it almost, it, it, it brings a pessimist out of me which says, well, no one's been able to come up with any real concrete scientific evidence that, that, that there is life after death or whatever that might be, then it's pretty conclusive that there probably isn't. And then there's another side of me that just intrinsically doesn't believe that that is possible, that, that we're sort of people with, a, with neurons firing and when our heart stops, that's it. You know? I, um, so I suppose in terms of it being thought-provoking and interesting that, you, it, that it can be inspiring in terms of writing lyrics. And it, it's, a, it's, it's a very mysterious thing. are in the same dimension? Well, you know, it's, uh, I've put a lot of thought into that because I have weird dreams, sometimes extremely vivid dreams. Some, uh, um, sometimes I'm not really sure of which is what. Um, but, I, you know, it's, I, I, c I couldn't really define multi-dimensions. All I can say is like, you know, if you're in a dream and, and you're having that experience, it's as real as when you're not. Um, it's like someone trying to describe that life as it is now, as we're sitting here talking, is an illusion. Um, and yet, if I took an ice pick and stuck it through your hand, yeah. it'd be a pretty goddamn believable illusion. So let's just assume it's not an illusion because um, there's a lot of reality happening, you know, and, and whether it's, you know, whether it's a moment and there's another picture, and that's probably, I guess, the closest thing to what I believe, is that our experience here is just um, you know, sort of intrinsically here and earthly and whatever else is going on, nobody knows, and, and, and probably has very little resemblance or really any very little relationship to what is going on here. Um, it, we won't, like, for example, if we were both dead and and um, balls of light hovering in the room, we wouldn't need to communicate with words. We wouldn't need, we, we wouldn't have to have any of the knowledge that you need to function um, in a conscious state in the world. Um, we wouldn't need to know about electricity. We wouldn't need to know how to open or close a door, start a car, how to drive, how to, how to follow directions to get where we're going. We, um, uh, it, the more you think about it, with the exception of actual mysticism or religion, everything that occupies our thoughts is earthly. And if we're not in an earthly place, then suddenly that, the, the whole earthly kind of experience becomes um, this very specific thing that death probably wouldn't need to include any of. But you feel that Lane Staley is in a good place? I have no idea. But you said in one of your blogs that you saw him in a dream and you... I saw him in a dream and it felt like, a, you know, seeing him there, yeah, that like maybe he's in a good place. But I also felt like 
is that, and I, I don't know if I say it in the blog or not, is that a projection? Uh, is that what I want to see? Or is that, um, you know, or is that what's really going on? And I've had that experience a lot with different people I know that have died where they appear in a dream and, and they're sort of the way that they were maybe at a time when, when I knew them and they were happy or peaceful or something like that or more healthy. Um, and I always sort of wake up with the feeling that, that, that somehow that's an indication that they are somewhere good, but I don't know. is gonna die and pop and hip-hop and future genres mm -hmm. will take over rock as we know it um, well I don't I don't know I mean I don't really define rock as being something that ha has specific um, parameters or rules I mean in a sense I think hip-hop really was rock kind of in a new form and it came from a place that was um, the same place that rock came from it came from um, it came from the street, it came from the garage, it came from people who were making music you know, that, that couldn't uh, necessarily afford to have a garage full of musical equipment. Um, and it was difficult for me to be able to afford a guitar and an amp together. I could have one or the other, but it, could, it was hard to have both. Um, and I think hip-hop kind of did the same thing, especially when the, it became something where topically the, the lyrical content was about uh, or involving who who the artists were and how they were living and where they were living and and you know what the, what their sort of poetry and their existence was. Um, it's the same thing. Rock as a genre is something else. Rock as um, dirty guitars and and, and um, screaming loudly over them. That's 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 another sort of subject or topic and that's all cyclical I think in you know a thousand years from now if we're still here there's gonna be somebody that wants to hear another guy pick up a guitar plug it in and play it and do that you know I would <laughs> I'm all you know I always love hearing um, raw power by the Stooges I'm never gonna stop and it doesn't matter like whatever what what other things I listen to I don't see how that ever really will go away and there's always going to be some kid, there's a kid being born right now, probably somewhere, um, who's going to hear that music, hear rock music for the first time, and, and something about that kid, he's going to try to do exactly that, but it's going to 
metamorphosizes into something a little different. And, and that'll always happen. The human element will always create something new. Um, and Jimi Hendrix is a great example of that. Um, when, when he played Wild Thing or Sgt. Peppers or whatever it was, it didn't, uh, who knows why he sounded the way he did, but it, it, there's, there's no comparing him to anyone else. He just was a guy who picked up a guitar and started and, and said, oh, guitar. And, and he was in blues bands and he, I don't think that he was the kind of guy that sat around trying to think his way through doing something special or different, like he's, Pete Townsend might. He just picked it up. And he just was him. Yeah. And, and it, think of it, it's a, it, we can't even really do it because we've heard generations of music since then, but, but imagine it being 1966, 67, and you see him on a stage for the first time. It's like, what in the hell? <laughs> Where did this guy come from? How is it possible? There's, this, there's someone out there in the future that hasn't been born yet, or that is two now, that it's the same thing, that will add that, whatever that is that, that makes us all unique to music, and we'll take what we think of as guitar rock music and keep it going. There's just a, there will be no depth of it, really, I don't think. Yeah. Like, for example, there was a whole genre of punk music with insane people jumping up and down, piercing their faces with, with disco's dead shirts on, and disco never went anywhere. And one of the, one of the chief bands like, that came from that New, New York scene um, had their biggest hits with disco rhythms, which was the Talking Heads. I mean, they're these huge hits that were very much kind of disco-laden, even though they were damning that genre inside the song. Will we ever get a chance to see Chris Cornell in a place like Pakistan? I sure hope so. I have conversations all the time about making my world, and this is my quote, making my world bigger. This has been going on. Um, but your world is too big right now already. It really it isn't. It, <laughs> it's really a matter of... It, like, it ends up being like a matter of corporate affiliations and things like that. Like, how can I afford to take my band, all my equipment and everything that I need to go perform um, and take it to all the places in the world that I want to take it? Because that costs money. And it's not even about making money. It's about, it's about um, just being able to afford to do it and, and finding the right opportunities and, then, and putting all that together in a way that makes sense where it's actually possible. And that's all it is. Well, money's on around. We just got to know how to get it, so that shouldn't be a problem. Well, I've been <laughs> in the last year and a half, um, or two years, have toured um, South America, which I'd never been able to go to before because I yeah. couldn't get uh, uh, my any bands to go. Um, South Africa, um, Iceland, numerous places in in uh, Europe that I was never able to go before. And I think playing Cuba really sort of changed my life in that I, yeah. I realized awesome that I'm um, playing in front of all of these people who have never really been able to see the, an outdoor rock event ever. It was sort of billed as the first American rock band to play Cuba, but realistically we were one of the only ones to ever play. Um, in spite of the fact that the Rolling Stones, for example, without any political problems could walk in and play a show there anytime they want. Um, or you too, or you know, um, you know, band that costs you money, you have to pay for it. But you know, a successful group that can afford it should be able to do it if they're not American. And even we proved that Americans can do it if you really 
you, you know, have enough people behind you helping you. Um, but the, there is an audience that can't see every rock band they want. They can't even go buy the CD if they want. Um, and that, that sort of it moved me and made me realize that I want to be able to play for everybody that I can in the world that is going to be a fan of the music that I do and make my world as big as it can possibly make it because um, anyone can see if they just like go on my website for example and just look at my touring dates and how often I perform I like to do it. What's next after Scream? I really don't know. I mean, I could. Uh, the, I've already started several different things. There aren't things I can really talk about now. Different collaborations and different projects, and I have a lot of different ideas. Um, but the right now, it's really the, to me. This is the beginning of Scream in a sense. Being wow. able to go out and and tour the world and perform the songs and and be able to add this now to already really big body of work and. Let it live. Let it be, let it live in, a, in the context of, of a live situation. Um, let it become what it what it wants to become in in, in terms of um, playing playing the music live and bringing the music to to people. So that means you're also open for collaborations. Yes, I'm. I, I that that's why Scream exists. That's true. Um, I think since Temple of the Dog, I I. You know, I made a promise to myself after that to not be too cynical, to, to be open to um, collaborations. And the reason why is because I was in a band I knew was special. I knew we had a chemistry. And I had this body of work that just didn't fit. And um, I had this opportunity to go in and record a, uh, this body of work uh, with some collaboration as well and go and make an, an album with some other people. And I just, I was afraid. I didn't know. And I thought maybe... Maybe we won't be special, and this is going to be awful. And it became Temple of a Dog. And after that, I thought, okay, well, I learned that one. Don't. And I thought about like Pete Townsend, Ronnie Lane, Rough Mix, you know, albums like that. I love that record. And I thought um, music should be like that. And 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 careers in music and recording artists' careers should be allowed to have those collaborations in them. And with Soundgarden, we allowed ourselves to do that. You know, I did I did my own things, and um, Matt and Ben did Wellwater Conspiracy and Hater and different things like that, and we allowed that to happen within our band, which I think was really a good thing. But it also taught me that I should be open. That's that that's why it's also why Audio Slave happened. I think they're fantastic. I'm the opposite. I'm sort of looking at music as being this, this infinite art form, this infinite medium, and I have a little tiny short life, and I want. <laughs> Be able to do as much of it as I can without, you know, I'm not going to go try to learn the trumpet, but um, I'm going to want to experiment with, with uh, as much of what music has to offer as possible. Well, we wish you a long life ahead. Thank you so Thank much you. for joining us. Thank you very we, much. We, we don't want Chris Cornell to go anywhere, so you better not leave the planet right now. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> I've got too much to do. That's good. I have too much scheduled to leave right now. That's good. All right. That's, that's good to hear. Thank Thanks. You. New Rock, 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 New Rock,